0: I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and I have some friends who have Bibles. If you do not have one, all you have to do is raise your hand and somebody will bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep this for yourself. If you do own a Bible and you just need one for the evening, you can just leave it on your uh, chair there and somebody will pick it up after our service. But uh, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting with verse 35, And we will read a few verses together. Here at our church, at the 8th Street Church, we honor the reading of God's word by standing. So I would invite you to do that right now. As we hear this word of the Lord from the gospel writer for us this evening. So it says in verse 35, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Move to verse 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We knew his father and his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. It is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So today, Captain America is the man. For those of you who love Iron Man instead, he answers to no one. Thor is God. Before there, was, uh, before there were the Avengers, for you old people in the room, there was John Wayne. There were the Cartwrights and the Lone Ranger. These were the men that everyone envied. And before the silver, st- the silver screen came, cowboy, it was business moguls like Cornelius Vanderbilt and John Rockefeller and Henry Ford that were heralded, the most important people. They were American heroes. Their story of rugged individualism has been poured into all of us, and it's been done for generations. It still is every single day, which is why I think we as a group of people just want to collapse. This is a deceptive story the story of rugged individualism, that you can do it on your own. The story is not only deceptive, it doesn't hold any water. Because you all know, and I know, that there are, that we've got to raise the kids, and put food on the table, and pay the bills, and get along with our spouses. There's work to do to keep the business afloat or fix the broken water heater, make ends meet. we got to find some money to deposit into the account that's red. And, And sometimes we just look and we just say, I can't do any of this, not one more time. If you have ever been at your wit's end, or if you are hanging at the end of the rope by just a knot, or maybe you are a person that is in a free fall, John's gospel is for you. So we gather every single week to hear a message of good news. But, but you need to know that we, when we hear with our ears, it's more than just hearing with our ears. We are actually embodied entities. Uh, we just don't sit in this room. We actually participate. Everything that has happened in worship has invited you to participate. You have a brain. You have a heart, ears, eyes. Church is a full-body experience you have the capability to talk. You practiced that just a few minutes ago. You have the ability to touch. You even have the ability to taste. The gospel is for the whole person, heart, Mind, soul, and spirit, and maybe this is maybe this is why uh, maybe this is why all of the gospel writers record scenes by which Jesus is eating and drinking. He's having conversations with people. He goes to parties, and he's touching folks. Maybe this is why he does that. Maybe our bodies matter. Maybe what we do with our bodies matter. Maybe how we feel within our bodies matter. Maybe what goes into our bodies matter. We are hungry and we are thirsty for what we cannot provide ourselves. So the gospel writers Matthew and Luke say this. They say that Jesus told us to pray for daily bread. And I think the reason he told us to do this is because our bodies matter. They scream at us, and they break down quickly when they are empty. Uh, Bread is the nourishment that we need for everyday survival. Bread's both simple and it's complex. A little bit of flour, yeast, maybe some salt. It's a genius recipe that has been around for over 6,000 years. It's a staple that gives us energy. If you want to lose weight, guess what you cut out? Bread. Throughout the world, bread is, is what keeps us alive. Many children go to school not to, not, to, not to strive, but simply to survive. They've got to eat just to make it through the day, and they're going to go to the place that gives them something to eat. Back in the day, people who needed a little bit of money would say, uh, they, they would use the phrase, I need to make some bread or earn a little scratch. These are bread references to have bread. it's a miracle. Every time you pay a bill, every time we clock in at the job, every time the engine on the car starts when we turn the key, every time the lights turn on after the switch is flipped, every time you lay down in a dry bed, it is a miracle that God, again, has filled our bellies and provided daily bread. Simply eating bread flies in the face of this individualistic narrative that we hear every single day. It's a reminder that you and I are not on our own. We are dependent on God and this planet for life. So the early Christians believed that the earth was alive. They thought that it was alive. It was a living entity and it connected us to one another. No one eats bread or anything, for that matter, alone, even if you dine by yourself. Bread is not an individual product. No food is. From the farmers in Iowa to the bakers in New York, to the truckers that cross the state lines, to the person that stays up all night putting it on the shelf, to the mechanic that keeps your car going so that you can travel to the store to get the bread, to have bread on your table takes an entire community. It takes work and sweat and toil. It takes enormous resources for you to eat bread. And God has providentially worked among all of these different elements. Worked, he's worked among those who have had to wake up at 5 a.m. every day, those, of, uh, those who've had to drive tractors in the heat, those who've had to do the pulverizing of wheat. Thousands have contributed to the sustaining of your life and mine for just a few minutes. Each day that you and I eat, it's like bread has mysteriously been delivered to us through the sovereignty of God by way of people that we don't even know and the earth from where it came. We find ourselves spiritually and relationally connected to other people and this God of this created order every single time we eat bread. And when we are eating, It is an invitation that we are being invited into God's work. We are being invited into what God seems to be doing. In Matthew and Luke, bread is this element that fills our bellies. This is God's marvelous, creative, ingenious way to sustain our lives. God's planet is a planet whereby there are these systems in place so that death leads to life and then life leads to growth and then growth eventually turns to death and then it turns into life again. This is how Matthew and Luke look at bread. But John, he's different. He's different than the other gospel writers, and, and he approaches the whole thing from a totally different angle. His gospel, I, I, I might say, is a little bit more robust. He says, yeah, those guys are right. Matthew and Luke are right. God fills our bellies, but you need to take this in, kids, because the way that God does that, the way that God fills our bellies, is simply a sign. It's just an indication of even greater and deeper things that God is doing, So while Matthew and Luke's Gospels talk about bread in a a single line cased within the Lord's Prayer, you should pray for daily bread, John takes this thing into a whole new level by writing an entire chapter about bread. In John chapter 6, Bread is this gigantic metaphor for something that's deeper. And John says that God was up to something when Jesus fed the masses at the Passover feast. If you read the, if you read the text before the one we read just earlier, you will read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 people at the Passover feast. So Jesus, his disciples, and these people they, they enc- that they encounter had gathered to celebrate this, pa- this festival called Passover. So several thousand years before Jesus, the children of God, or the Hebrew children, were in this land called Egypt under the hand of an evil dictator named Pharaoh, and he held them in torturous slavery uh, for years. But their God, in an effort to get Pharaoh to release his grip on them, sent the angel of death to pass over the land. And it was the start of a chain of events that eventually led to their freedom. So they get out of Egypt, and as they're wandering in the desert for 40 years before entering the land that God promised them, daily bread would miraculously show up on the ground when they would wake up every morning, and it was a gift demonstrating that God was willing to sustain them. It was a moving story that people would tell around campfires. They would, they would talk about it when they cooked. They would talk about it when they farmed. And each year, the people would then make this journey. to uh, They would make this journey like they were travelers on their way to Woodstock in order to celebrate and remember. So they would gather with giddy excitement and anticipation, and they wanted to see something groovy. They wanted to see something far out this is supposed to be funny. Wake up. Here we go. (laughs) So the expectation was there every single year. They would make their journey, and maybe, maybe when they got there, maybe this year, God would do something for us like God did way back then. They came for the experience. They stayed for the party. It was a Passover palooza. It was tons of music and dancing and thrill and drinking and eating and telling stories and celebration and this year the main the main stage speaker was a small town kid who had gone big time and his name was Jesus of Nazareth and he could draw a crowd like no one else could they knew him growing up they even knew his parents but they were hearing some rumors about him, of, of some of the miracles that he had done. But he never seemed to call the miracles, and neither did the guys who were writing about them. Instead, he called these events that he would do, that everybody was wowed by, he said they were signposts for something that was to come. And on this one afternoon, there was this huge crowd, all sitting around for something amazing to happen. And it, it did Jesus, who who knew in his mind what he was going to do, when the crowds were out there, 5,000 of them turned to one of his entourage, Philip, and he said, Philip, where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people? And Philip's response was the same one that I would give. You got to be kidding. How quickly it is that we have forgotten the story here they are at this festival celebrating the very fact that God feeds those who have no food. In fact, they woke up in the morning and there was bread to eat on the ground. And they came making a long journey to Passover Palooza, hoping that God would do now what God did in the past. They wanted to see these great things happen, but when they happen, they're not ready and they can't see it. They can't even believe. And as Jesus has a tendency to do, he's already set the events into motion just by asking, asking the question how is it that we are going to feed these people the bread? Uh, Andrew, another one of the guys, comes up to him and he says, Hey, there's a little boy that's here, and he brought with him five barley loaves and two fish. So Jesus, so Jesus had the people sit down. And then there is this wonderful little, this wonderful little uh, description that John inserts in this miracle feeding. It, it's, it goes like this. It says, they sat down on the nice carpet of green grass. Think about this. This is the Middle East. People are dirty. They've been traveling for a long time. And he inserts green grass Now, Will Willimon says this, that you should pay attention to the odd things that happen in the biblical text because where the odd things are, that's where God might be. My friend David Busick says that when you just see descriptions like this, you better pay attention because green grass is an indication, a foreshadowing, that something is about ready to happen. And Jesus took the bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it, and then he began to share it with everyone and everyone ate and had as much as they wanted everyone ate everyone every one the multitudes 5000 5000 is a biblical number it means more there were more people there than anyone can really count The offer of bread was given to the masses. Jesus shared the bread with the masses. In other words, bread is offered to everyone. And it's a sign, Jesus says, a sign that God is back doing what God has done in the past. A sign that says that you better pay attention. Could it be? Could it be that God will do what God has done? And John wants to make something really clear. He wants to say to those who read his text that the same God that delivered the bread to sustain life in the desert, well, here he is in flesh and blood and he's ready to come and sustain your life today. But there's one little difference, unlike what happened in the desert, and unlike Matthew and Luke, John inserts Jesus' words, and they have a different kind of twist, they have a different meaning, and he inserts words like, he will come as the bread of life to give you full life, abundant life, eternal life, and he says that it's offered to you today. And then, all of a sudden, there's confusion, lots of confusion, and I suspect it was because people were thinking with their stomachs and not with their brains. Because when their stomachs were full and they had gotten what they had come for, come and, and gotten from Jesus, the crowd realized that bread didn't have to go through this system any longer. It didn't need to be dependent on work and community and sweat and toil. But in Jesus, it could appear out of nowhere. And they wanted more of that. They didn't want to be dependent on anybody. They wanted more of what he could give them. It appeared out of nowhere, and they wanted what they had, what he had to offer. So somebody there at Passover Palooza yells out in the crowd, "Hail him, Jesus of Nazareth, King of Israel!" And then the group, five thousand of them, in a in a hurried mob frenzy, the crowd begins to get whipped up in this emotional fervor, and they begin to shout together, "Make him king! Make him king!" Later, they said, they said the exact same thing when they yelled, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I think the most remarkable power that any king has is the ability to control the food system. You know, Pharaoh controlled the food system. So did David. So did Herod. So did Saddam Hussein. The one who can control the food system is king Do you remember another story where a group of people wanted a king? We've been talking about it all summer, 1st and 2nd Samuel. The people wanted someone to fill their bellies, so they devised a plan, and that plan didn't turn out so well. And now here in John, several thousand years later, they're doing it again, and we do the exact same thing. We pray that God will fill our bellies. And then God gives us our daily bread and we're grateful. But the fact of the matter is the reality is that you and I are hungry again after a little while. Or the bill comes due. Or the babies need to be fed again. Or the children have grown out of their clothes again. Or the roof has leaked again. Has it been 30 days already? It's time to collect again? We need bread is what we continue to say. And we do Uh, We do what the crowds did. We make Jesus king so that he will provide our daily bread. He will help us get through the next moment or the next day. It's a great way to pray. Matthew and Luke have told us to pray this way, but I will say it's a hard way to live. So it's a good thing that we have John. Because this story isn't about the miracle that God provides our daily bread the stuff that just fills our bellies, the miracle, as important as that is. Instead, Jesus and John wants us to know that the feeding of the 5,000 is not about the miracle of daily bread showing up for us. Remember what he calls it? A sign. It's an event that points to something bigger. It's a sign to reveal that Jesus himself is our bread. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says this, I am the bread of life. You know, this is a major revelation. It's one that people have a hard time figuring out. It's one that might confuse us right now. And the reason is, is because our brains are in our stomachs. Just like the people who heard this for the first time, but Jesus calls them to think, not just about their life today, but he wants them to think about their lives forever. The great reformer Martin Luther said that this statement, that I am the bread of life, what it should do is it should awaken the faith in us. Because Jesus of Nazareth, the main stage speaker in the gospel of John, is not just on the platform speaking on the topic of earthly things, the way of our bellies and the things that we need, but rather he is the bread of life. And what he is doing is he's taking that which is important in heaven, heaven and life and light and wisdom and knowledge and victory and salvation and help and wholeness for our whole bodies, and he's, connecti- he's connecting that to the things of earth. It's what my friend Sweet C. McLean says. He is doing the whole shebang. John's gospel doesn't just limit Jesus to the work of the miracle of daily bread here on earth. The feeding of the 5,000 is a sign to everyone and anyone. It's a biblical way to say, hey, y'all, He is the bread of heaven. Sure, he'll meet your daily needs. Don't worry about that. But you need to know... You need to know He is nothing less than our Savior. He is nothing less than our helper, our keeper, our sustainer of our lives, our our promise for the future. He is our hope of resurrection. Every single need that we have, whether it is essential or existential, He is our bread. He is it now and forever. We are simply to listen and then as the people were in the text, invited to trust. And then even for those of us who struggle in trusting him, he is also the strength and the courage offered to us so that we might allow God to teach us to trust, to enlighten our hearts so that we might get on the right path. How all this help happens, how Jesus is the bread of life for both this earth and the heavens and connects the two, how this happens, I got to tell you, I, I'm in the lot with the people who don't get it. I'm not entirely sure how it happens, but I am sure of this. You are sitting on green grass, my friends. And Jesus was there at the Passover celebra- celebration. And because of Jesus at the Passover celebration, the Passover celebration now becomes the pass through celebration. Jesus on the cross passes through death into resurrection life, and, and he's, he's offered to us every single thing he has. He gives, and he gives, and he gives. And he gives, he pours himself away. He gives it all to us so that we might have what he has. He became what we are so that we might become what he is. And on that day, a festival that marked death became a sign to everyone who was open to it, it became a sign that redefined this celebration. Matthew and Luke were right. God does meet our most basic needs. But John reminds us that there is so much more. God doesn't just meet our most basic needs. What he does is he offers us his son. Not to just meet our most basic needs, but to meet our deepest needs. We are poor. We are broken. We are hungry. We are thirsty for what we cannot Provide ourselves, And do you know what he did? He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. And in that, this mystery that I do not understand, it meets our every need. It gives us new life. John calls it eternal life. Some think that when Jesus talks about eternal life, it's something that happens after we die. But John insists that we do not have to wait for it. It begins here and it begins right now if we are open to receive it. If we are open to receive it, we receive a whole new way of living. There were 5,000 people there that day. It means that it's a number too big to count. A number that says the bread of life is offered to all 'all. y'all. Think about the people in that crowd and the stories that they carried. They had strained marriages, secret sins. They were desperate and lonely. They had financial ruins, past heartaches, evil memories that could never be erased. Those are the same things that we carry into this place. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, just at the moment when we are undone and we cannot make it one more day, it's the hands and the voices and the bodies of Christ's servants who are now the new sign that speak grace-filled words to us when they offer the elements to us and they say to us, he is the bread of life. May you never go hungry again. He is the drink that quenches your thirst. May, you, may it forever satisfy. I'm going to invite our, um, our communion uh, helpers to help us. And I want to I let you know that many times, listen to what I have to say while they're moving just for a minute. Many a times many times, I invite you to this table where I ask you to come reflective and it's somber. And it's appropriate to come to the Lord's table uh, like that because on the night before he was betrayed by the ones he came to save, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. You've heard it before. And then he held up the cup and he said, this is my cup that represents my blood which was poured out for you whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. I didn't make up those words. They are the words of St. Paul. But today, what I want you to do is I want, you to the, I want to invite you to the Lord's table by using the words of St. John. Listen to these words. After the miraculous feast on the mountainside, where there was a multitude that were satisfied with five loaves and two fish. The disciples gathered twelve basketfuls of leftovers, which means that there is more than enough for everyone who comes. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever, whoever comes to me will never be hungry And whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. Those who were gathered there had a difficult time understanding these teachings. So Jesus said it again, and he continued I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And when we come to this table today, what we do is we trust this God will satisfy our hunger, and he will meet every need and quench every thirst. This is the meal that Jesus Jesus shared with a hungry crowd long ago, and he shares it with you today. So what I would like you to do is bring your hunger to this table. I want you to bring your thirst to this table. To Trust in the one who called himself the living bread, the bread that comes from heaven. And I want you to know that something happens here that leads us to eternal life. I say this to you every week, and I say it again. Everyone, everyone, everyone who is open and willing to trust this work of this God in his Son, who has poured out himself for us, is invited to this table. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic, but it does carry in itself symbol and meaning, that his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you, and it is offered to you today for eternal life. So when you come, move out of your row to the left side, come to one of these servers with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. This is communion. We receive it. We do not take it because it is a gift. So approach these servers. Listen to what they have to say. They are good words for us. Dip the bread into the cup and be grateful. When you are ready, you may come.